Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Football Story, episode 27. Today, we are talking fan culture. As always, by my side, Nick, how are you doing this evening? Yeah, not too bad, mate. How are you? I am good. Um, enjoying the football we've, we've had on at the moment. Um, but uh, we are joined um, today by two guests to help us talk about the, the way in which fan culture is evolving in the world of COVID-19. Firstly, a recurring guest back from Fan Culture Part 2 um, and a, a very passionate um, man in, in terms of uh, fan culture and the way that football's moving. Uh, we have Zach Rees with us. How are you this evening, Zach? Hey, Triggy. Hey, Nick. Uh, I'm doing very well. Thanks, boys. And thanks for having me back, me back on again. Not at all. Always love to hear your opinions uh, on football and especially fan culture. Um, and we now have a new guest on the pod uh, this week, Kevin McColl. Um, so long-time supporter, friend of ours. Uh, great to finally have you on, mate. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's a real pleasure. Uh, how are you guys going this evening? Yeah, look, we're good. Um, obviously, you know, we are glad that, that there is football back on and there's, there's football to watch. However, there are some, some pretty big issues facing the game at the moment, um, especially in terms of the way that um, fans are consuming uh, the game. And Zach, I know this is something that you're quite passionate about. Um, what have you observed um, over the last uh, sort of six months, um, obviously with COVID-19 um, really dominating, I guess, the way in which the world runs. Um, how do you think that's affected um, football and, and I guess the way that we as fans are consuming that? Yeah, Twiggy, I mean, as I was saying before, um, you both know I'm passionate about uh, being in the stadium um, and actually physically being there. I think we've seen a very, very big change now because of the restrictions that um, are all around the world. And it's sort of moved fans out of the stadiums um, and back into their living rooms. We're seeing things like the um, Sky Sports um, pay-per-view. Um, and it is actually a huge concern of mine. Um, I'm not too excited about the way this is moving. I think it's placating a lot of what was really beautiful about fan culture, but um, I'm sure we'll get into all of that. I, I guess, um, speaking of that, that pay-per-view, um, Sheffield United versus Fulham. Uh, wow. If you're living in the UK, was 14 quid or 15 quid to watch um, over the weekend to watch essentially a, a bottom of the uh, a, mm -hmm. a clash between the cellar dwellers. Um, Kevin, to me, that seems quite ridiculous. Oh yeah, I mean, ridiculous is like an understatement. Um, yeah, it is like it has been quite unsettling to see the way football is just almost like seamlessly transitioned into like you know no fans in the stadium. Uh, I mean, you, you can't imagine they'd be, they'd be letting in fans in Europe, like arguably for the rest of the season. So it's, it's going to be a very um, interesting season to see how that all pans out. Um, yeah, very I concerning. Think to, um, I think also to touch on that, Slavin Bilic, who um, uh, he spoke on the BBC, um, and he made a really good point. And he said, football is not golf or polo, um, and it's a working class sport. And that fourteen dollars, uh, fourteen pounds rather, for a ticket was, uh, I think he said it in when he was a kid growing up in Croatia that that could pay for two seasons worth of games. So that's really something to consider as well with people um, not having their jobs, um, being low on finances, and then you have to fork out fourteen pounds for for a ticket to watch on TV for possibly a bottom clash. Is it really worth? Is it really worth the money or your time even? 
Yeah, I think it's interesting because I was watching some of the Champions League this morning, which is back, and mm-hmm. the big clashes, right, the, with the big teams, right? There were no fans in the stadium. But if you tuned into, um, I think it was Stade Rene and Krasnodar, two very small teams, well, they had fans at the stadium. And to be honest, watching a game like that is far more interesting than actually watching Barcelona play in an empty stadium. Nick, I don't know if you were watching um, much of the Champions League this morning, but... I guess, how do you feel? I mean, when we pay 15 quid to watch a game in an empty stadium, I mean, aren't we watching it on TV, you know, to see the fans as well? Yeah, definitely. I think the fans are always such a great part. And, you know, even just being fans ourselves, it's like brought us four together and, you know, the other boys in our group. And I agree. I I watched um, all of the mini matches once I got home from work and I saw the the Stad Ren match and you know when they scored the goal you saw the fans you know like trying to almost jump the fence like the passion was just awesome to see it was only a couple thousand probably but that's like a massive part of the game and that's what we love and I know Zach's touched on it and he's like we said he's very passionate about it and to see that was was really cool and then you look at even you know Barcelona obviously didn't play a very great opponent I can't even remember their name but Messi scored, Coutinho scored, Dembele scored, and there was just barely any celebration, even from the players. So I think that's even sort of impacting how players are celebrating. I don't know. It just seems all a bit weird. and It's, you're, not, it's just not really a great right, spectacle. Nick. You're really right, Nick. And I think what you said about the spectacle, like having, having the fans in the stadium, not only adds context to the game about just how much that game means or how important it is, but it also adds so much meaning to it, not just for the fans, and I think we were sort of mugged off initially in the sense that we are, we are in a sense, a customer um, at these stadiums and at these games. But now you're seeing it rub off on the players where the celebrations really is passionate and it doesn't mean as much. And sort of in this direction where we're heading, um, in ter- not only in terms of entertainment, but as, as football is very rooted in the community. And um, I think we're going to end up doing a lot of soul searching if if this continues to to actually see why we're watching football even yeah i mean for every storyline about um a big transfer i mean i guess the the kind of noticeable one of of recent was this gareth bale mega money move well it's a loan deal but obviously the the salary that he's being paid um and and those millions of dollars would have uh saved macclesfield town who um compete in the English football league and, you know, went under um, a bit like Barry last season. Kev, do you, do you worry for the, the smaller clubs um, in a time like this and, and looking at the way that the game is, is moving forward? Yeah, certainly. I mean, like you didn't see with, um, I believe it was Liverpool at the end of last season were, were laying off staff of in their club. Um, and that is quite concerning. Like just, um, when you look at the kind of money they they paid the players to then go on the pitch, but they can't afford like basic wages to you know backroom staff. Um, it it does like kind of indicate a really like dark path to the the sport is actually going down. Um, you can only hope that we don't really continue down this path. Like, um, but it's yeah, as I said kind of previously, I think this season is going to be very telling in a lot of regards. Um, it is. We're going to find out a lot about the future of our game in this season, how things are going to work. I think every everything, I mean, football is simply a reflection 
<clears throat> of society and, and the wider issues that goes on, especially now um, with all these finances coming in. And I think we're really going to see um, the position we're going to end up in only, only at the end of next season. But the rules and regulations are implemented and how we consume football these, this season is going to be crucial to how we consume it going forwards, um, which is why I don't like... Um, of course, I'm desperate to watch watch the games and I really want to on TV, but I'm very hesitant that this desperation to watch football is going to feed into a power grab from TV companies um, and the major clubs and we're going to end up in a very strange situation when it all comes out and one that I don't think all of us are going to be happy with, especially if our main focus is being inside the stadium. Well, even the, the 15 pounds from Sky Sports, that's already sort of a it could already be sort of like a taste test of like what's to come. I mean, 15 pounds is probably what, $25. Yep. And we pay, we pay 110 bucks a year, I think to, to get the premier league in Australia. <laughs> exactly. And but even uh, that, still we pay a hundred and what, $120 to go and see every Melbourne victory game at Amy Park. Exactly. Twig. My housemate is, was, is considering buying a 140 pound virtual season ticket pass to watch Charlton. Uh, in the championship and that is far more than our memberships cost to actually physically be there and you really have to weigh that up obviously not everyone is in the position that we're able to to afford these kind of things and and I, is the money really worth it to sit there from your living room with such well, a big disconnection that's another like interesting thing you um to take note of is is the fact that due to the coronavirus and the pandemic like the economic state like the financial states of a lot of like countries around the world is, are struggling like people you know can barely afford to like you know put food on the table in situations and then you've you're like amping up the price of this sport that like is it is a religion in a lot of like places in this world and it's becoming increasingly more inaccessible to like more and more people it's um it's very concerning. Like, yeah, it's very manipulative I, as well because I think people watch football to regain some sense of normality in their lives, especially during this this crisis. And you're charging people for for that pleasure, and I'm I'm really not sure I sit well with that. We had a really um, a really interesting chat with um, a guy, Joe Smith, um, on our last part of Fan Culture, where he kind of spoke about this idea that that what COVID has actually shown is that. Um, the Premier League and and kind of UEFA and FIFA, really, for that matter, don't actually need fans in the stadium to, A, make money um, and, B, deliver their product because I guess for them it, it is a business. And I guess one of the things that they have probably realised is that, well, we don't have fans in the stadiums, but as you said, Zach, people are still going to keep watching. And and it comes back to this kind of age-old saying of, of football without fans is nothing. Uh, do we fear that 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 statement is losing um, some of its impact? I mean, not from the fans itself, but you know, the governing bodies that are deciding these things. Do you think that they truly believe that? I I, I honestly don't think they've ever believed that statement. Um, I think when uh, when the Premier League was created, when they realised how much money could be able to be um, generated from the Champions League the statement went completely out the window. For them, football is nothing if it doesn't generate income. Um, and fans are merely, nowadays, a customer. 
And I think this was always their goal anyways. I don't know about you guys, but um, just from looking back at the history of fan culture, I know there were some terrible disasters like Hillsborough and that kind of stuff. But um, moving forward from that, all see the stadium, all these decisions that have been made have been made to tame the fans sort of and price working class people out of the stadiums uh, to stop fan protests. And now when fans are in their living room, the people that run the football have complete autonomy over the decisions being made and they have total say over when the games are played um they can change the the kickoff time so that uh, they'll get more viewership in asia for example and generate a higher income and that's what it's all about now in my opinion um just like a uh, like it's very telling as well that like they often talk about the um the playoffs in the championship i know you guys are talking about it on the last um podcast but like the um the playoff for the championship in the in England to get into the Premier League, they often describe it as like the 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 most expensive kind of game the out there. Or game like, of football, yeah. Yeah, and that that access to like a, a bigger market seems to be such a like a, a driving force in the game now. It's um you know, you, you hate to see the sport kind of like run by like or like, you know, the there's so much like it's so enticing that like, oh, we'll have a, a bigger market for our team, like um and it I've actually never really thought about it like that, Kev. That's a, it's a really interesting point. And I maybe, you know, want to segue that towards, there's been some reports that have come out and th- this has been an ongoing thing for years and years and years, but there's been some more reports this week um, of the formation um, or a- a- advanced talks of a European Super League where essentially in that same model of the championship playoff game, promoting teams up into sort of, areas with higher um, uh, revenues, um, higher, bigger TV deals. Look, there's, there's a lot of complexities about what a European Super League would actually look like. Um, and I know, Zach, you, you put in an opinion last week uh, about um, that you'd actually be for it because it would mean all the money would be, or, or all the people that you know wanted the money and would go off and do their own thing and we'd be left to enjoy the rest of football. My worry with that for me personally is that, you know, I guess where the money is, that's where the people's, you know, where the audiences are going to be. And I, I worry that, you know, with all the money going up there, that is really just going to kill small clubs. Um, look, it's a vexed issue. Um, what do we all think generally about the idea of a, of a European Super League? Gen- well, I mean, as I said last week, I think you brought up the quite, quite good point that I am very much an idealist. Um, but in my opinion, I, I really don't see a way this, this can continue because at the moment I feel like we're branching into two footballs, these super rich clubs and then the other f- the football that, that the majority of the world still plays. Um, and the split is getting too big and there is no real solution to it. There's no way to bridge the gap. Um, and I, I'm I'm all for them leaving. To be honest, I, I'm really tired of uh, I'm really tired of them. I think Do you worry really... that all other football would become irrelevant, though? Like, as in not to to us, but you know, if if a Super League was made, I don't I I don't I have a big enough belief in the lower league system and and the fans in each of the countries that the sports being played in that it will survive. It it might take a dip, definitely. But I think it'll only be temporary. I feel like short-term gain, uh, short-term pain, long-term gain would be what happens to the smaller clubs. And they would also gain more autonomy. And I, I think that you'd be surprised by how many people 
um, around the world are also feel this frustration and also would like these teams gone. Yeah, mm. just on that note of autonomy, um, like you do see with a lot of the bigger clubs, uh, like in England, for example, like where there's whole stands that are just full of tourists. You know, you you see you often see those kind of photos of you know half the crowd with their phones out looking to take a photo. Um, I think that as Zach just uh, touched on, like yeah, there would probably be like a significant dip period, but I think like within a few years, you'd you'd see like the original fans who might have been priced out of there like the clubs uh you know the big clubs would start coming back i think um yeah i think you'd, you'd it would take a while but i think you'd see positives in the future uh from like less money i wonder how do you guys think all these changes are actually going to affect the game in our own country i mean we spoke to Simon Hill a few weeks ago and he was quite worried about, I guess, the state of the A-League. And um, I know there's been a lot of um, debates over players taking pay cuts, what the next season is going to look like. Look, we're in, we're in a, a position in Australia where we are um, closer to bringing fans back into stadiums um, than they are in Europe. And we do have a better ability to control um, the virus here, meaning that hopefully... Um, by the time the the season kicks off in late December, we sh- we should we really shouldn't be playing any games behind closed doors at this stage. Um, Nick, how do you reckon um, football in Australia is has been affected by all this, and and what maybe next season might might look like? Yeah, I think the really telling thing with with what Simon was saying, and like it's been sort of an issue for for definitely the last couple of years that the game is slowly decreasing in terms of quality in terms of fan culture as well which is you know what we love talking about and then COVID came along and it made it just it just magnified the issues um you're seeing a lot of players now like um players we've even spoken to like Matt Yerman deciding to go to second tier Greek clubs to follow Popovich and there's been about 10 um, players to in India in the last fortnight. Yeah, like, yeah I see yeah. that. If we're losing players to a, a market like that, I mean, what does that say about the game as yeah. a whole? And people have left some pretty scathing comments about the kind of clubs. I, so I, I think agree COVID, too. you go, Zach. Sorry, I, I completely agree, Trigger, about people leaving to this Indian Indian IPL, Indian Premier League, I think it's called. And, and I'm, I really don't want to knock them and best of luck to them with their league, but... Um, I, I really don't think in the position that Australia is as a footballing nation should be losing to a market like that. And, and it, it does show how little money we have in our game here, um, which doesn't inspire much confidence for me. But it's why we need to look. I, I really think the solution is grassroots, back to basics. We need to get everybody on board, as I said last time, to make a big push for our game to still exist. Because it, it's true, we don't have much money. But what we do have is a large community that does love football. And to go towards that, I think it's the answer. To be honest, I reckon we actually have a great opportunity because mm-hmm. fans are not going to be back into European stadiums. Probably, I mean, I, I, look, I don't know what the virus is going to do, but look, they're clocking 100,000 cases a day, isn't it? And they're like, going into winter. And they're 130,000 130, in the whole of Europe. I think a I couple mean, of days ago. Clearly, they're not crazy. getting back to stadiums soon, right? We know that. We actually have the opportunity, right, in December, January, February, we can actually be one of, you know, maybe the first few countries to actually be starting to fill up stadiums. 
right? Yeah. And and that can show. I mean, look, I love watching the uh, you know the Champions League, and I, I do love watching the Premier League. But look, with no fans, it it severely detracts from my enjoyment. And I think if people are feeling that way, they're feeling you know a you know okay, it was nice to watch the game, but it wasn't exciting. It didn't entertain me, right? looking around in Australia and saying, okay, well, I actually can go to the stadium and, and there are fans there. And, and maybe this is like actually a window of opportunity for our game to actually get those people who, who like European football, because there's more than enough people that love European football, right? We know that that's why Optus sport can give us that for so cheap because lots of people pay for it. But could this actually be a bit of a blessing in disguise if we can get people back in the stadiums in December, January, could this actually be a chance? And look, the FFA are starting to do things in the right way. James Johnson has got his head screwed on, it would seem. Do we think this is an opportunity? Yeah. yeah. I think I think both in terms of digital support and physical support. I remember when the mm-hmm. first wave of COVID hit and it was really bad in the UK, you saw lots of people from the UK that had never watched the A-League before starting to watch the A-League because you know, their broadcasters wanted to fill it up with with football still. And we were basically the only league still going. So I think I don't really know if it will have a, a massive impact on the digital support because people in England and people in other parts of Europe, their clubs are still playing. But having a product with fans mm-hmm. is a lot more enticing than watching. Even I'm getting a bit, not bored, but it's just not the same watching Liverpool play at Anfield with no fans. Yeah, and 100%. I think another key opportunity, uh, like, I guess it taps into emotions is like, I mean, I think the last time, or last time I went to a football match was mid-March. And that's like seven months ago. Uh, I think come December, you got you had nine months. People will be hungry to go back to the football. Uh, so I think you, we'll, we'll be able to drag in a lot more fans who might have been on the sidelines a bit, you know, like casual fans who go to the, every, the odd game here and there. When, when the next season, when the next A-League season comes back around, I think the, like you'll see a lot more people like actively come out and try to get to the football. They'll, they'll be hungry for it, I think. We need to capitalize on, on this moment digitally and physically. Uh, physically, like Twiggy was saying, in Australia and digitally as in enhancing where we're being shown around the world. I think it really gives people hope that things are going to go back to normal. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think one other thing that was positive that we saw, it was just a rumor. I think it was yesterday. And we were talking about it in the group chat that, um, that they were thinking of if fans were not allowed in late December, but say they were allowed in February, that the, the three Melbourne clubs would, would go up to Sydney or, or play behind closed doors and then wait until fans could come in for the bigger matches, like the, the derbies and the big blue and stuff. And I think, I think the FFA or the A-League or whoever's in charge of that, just thinking about the fans, I think that's a real positive step because in the last four or five years, like we've, we've all seen sort of the demise mm-hmm. of, of the fan culture. It's nowhere near what it used to be. But maybe if they've got us more in the forefront of their mind, that's also a positive. I, I do think, agree. And, I, yeah. and I, I, did, I didn't actually think about it uh, that way at all, but it is actually nice for once to uh, to be thought about by the FFA or at least take our take our time into consideration. I guess one of the other points I sort of want to touch on, I think there's there's probably a bit of tension when it comes to this kind of thing between say the digital fans um, and I guess the, the fans that go to stadiums. And I think I often get myself in um, little comment wars on Facebook with- You love with, it. I always see every I day. I do bite sometimes, <laughs> but look, 
I guess when we when we think about you know you know trying to um, encourage people to support their local football and and to, to support their local team, I don't think that the message that that anyone wants to send is stop is is to stop watching the Premier League or stop watching yeah. La Liga or stop watching Bundesliga because you know my my Saturday night you know post post 10 o'clock is watching all of those leagues and waking up in the morning and catching up on all of those leagues and that's where most of us fell in love with football in yeah those absolutely yeah. but I guess the the point is I mean I remember watching that as a kid and I remember going oh like that stadium looks unreal <laughs> when you watch <laughs> a game at Anfield when you watch a game at Celtic Park absolutely and true. you go I want to be there right yeah I can't be there but the next best thing is going down to my local club and look, yep. when you're in, in amongst it, you know, some of the atmospheres in Australia rival that of Europe. I mean, in the Premier League, there is no active support. Crystal Palace are the only club with active support. I've been to the Premier League. I've been to different places in Europe. The A-League has it pretty damn good in terms of the, the quality on the field. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not there. But do we go purely to watch the quality on the field? I guess what I'm, you know, what I kind of want, is, you know, I, I remember when, when we would go to Melbourne Victory, we'd go watch them 7.30 till 9.30, go to the pub, have a drink, and we'd all race home for the 11.30 Premier League kickoff. And that I, I miss doing that. But yeah. it wouldn't be the same if I was just hang, at home, like hanging around, waiting for the, the early kickoff in the Premier League. But yeah, you know, I, combining I the best of both worlds, it, it's just, it, it's I really, for me, it's what, yeah. what football fan culture should you don't, be. You don't have to do one or the other. And I think that that's something very careful when I'm trying to say watch your local team because it sounds like you're patronizing people a little bit. Do you know what I mean? When you're like, watch your local team, you're not a real fan, blah, 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 if you're just watching online. And, and it's not true. You can't really question anyone's loyalty to the team or how passionate they are about a team. But at the same time, you can do both. And I think you'll get a very good experience out of doing both. Um, and I think that's the way to encourage people um, towards it. I remember when I first got into um, into Victory Twig, uh, how you brought me on to, to supporting Victory. You said, come down, it was easy. And it was just sort of like a routine that you fell into. Yeah, that's um, it. So, and it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, as we said, it's the relationships that you build with people mm-hmm. there and the connection mm-hmm. you have to the club, um, which, which, you know... It, of course you can be connected to a club overseas. Of course you can. Um, but you know, uh, uh, you know, often drive past, you know, Amy park or, or, or drive down Swan street. And, and, you know, that's something that you can't, you can't do, um, with yeah. a club overseas. Um, but look, we want, we want people consuming as much football as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as many bums on seats or really feet on, on seats, um, as we can, um, <laughs> I guess, as we said, we are at a bit of a crossroads because really, I mean, the game can come out of this in one or two ways. And it seems as though the governing bodies want one way and the fans want another. Because look, I was watching the, the Merseyside, um, Merseyside derby on the weekend. And of course, always a great spectacle. But look, we've got no fans and we've actually had a Merseyside derby game decided by this sort of like... VAR call that no one could understand and it, it is this symbolic of this this technology and this kind of like inhuman thing ruining it all the feels game. very it all feels very dystopian at the moment doesn't it it does doesn't it it feels, it feels very dystopian and that worries me because um football football is really not meant to be dystopian for me that's why i went to like express myself in the biggest way possible 
And I think at the moment, the, the way they have it set up is anti-expression just about. It's so rigid um, and so unfeeling and so cold. Um, that's what I worry about with, with, with what you just mentioned, Twig. You can't even celebrate a goal with confidence anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah. That really, that's really disappointing. And it, it, it's a, humans are playing the game and a human is officiating the game. Yeah. Now it's basically humans are playing and a robot or or a, a system or is like officiating the game. It just takes the natural aspect out. To me, obviously, you know, I was a Liverpool supporter, so I was disappointed with the with the uh, result in the end. But like, I don't know. To me, it just sort of takes out the natural aspect of the game. And yeah, like even in the stadium, like this, pro- it's probably happened a few times last season where we celebrated a goal and we threw mm-hmm. beers everywhere. More three three rows forward. Only to only to see up on the big screen that the goal had been disallowed, and there's nothing worse. I, it just felt silly because I was sitting there on my couch, at, you know, what was it, midnight, and I was yeah. looking at looking at someone who I don't know who it was placing random lines of random colours, which I could not distinguish from one or another, sitting and waiting uh, two or three minutes, um, waiting for a decision. Uh, and then he's not been knowing... taken off the panel for the, for the next couple of weeks. Cause I mean, but that's the beside the point really. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, but it's beside the point because yeah, it happens it every week. We, we sit there and it, yeah. we're looking at this stuff and we have no idea what we're looking at. We know that it's going to decide the fate of the game, you know, mm. and, and watching, watching West Ham come from behind to, to, to draw three, three with Tottenham with, with one of the greatest oh, goals you will ever see old. in the 1995th <laughs> minute. And I just thought like, how imagine it with fans how sad it it was that that happened without fans and it was great to see the passion um from the west Ham. i was gonna say that's one of the best celebrations during the COVID era yeah it's it's the only good celebration i've seen yeah but you just (laughs) thought this is sad like you can imagine i could imagine the west ham end right yeah they'd be on the field and there is something missing to be fair, thirty percent of them probably would have left at one, at three 0 down in the eighty second minute. Well, knowing it still would have been amazing, fans, probably. But you know, uh, yeah. Look, yeah. I think you know, exciting for us that you know, hopefully we're actually going to be able to go to the football in just over two months. Um, not th- the same can't be said in Europe. Um, mm-hmm. I guess you know, it's important. With limited capacity, I guess they've got mm. it. Yeah, yeah, of course. I- I think it's a good opportunity. I think um, Australia's uh, active support culture is like, I guess all I've really been exposed to live, but it's, I think it's phenomenal. Like some of the active support in this, in this league. And if we get an opportunity to like, to, you know, showcase that to, you know, new international, uh, you know, viewers and customers. Yeah. Like, I think that's, this is, this is a perfect, like a fantastic opportunity for Australian football. And people people love a niche team nowadays. People love yeah. being a football hipster. And what is better than having a little team down in Australia? So it's a really good chance for us to um to really show what we've got here on a serious note. Yeah. I guess there's um, a lot of there's always a lot of solutions. Um, what what the FFA can do, what you know, big corporations can do, what the clubs can do. But fundamentally, um the biggest people need thing to connect that, to the sport in yeah, their home but, city. But fundamentally, yeah, the biggest thing we can do. Um, all of us, I'm not just talking about us on the pod. I'm talking about everyone listening, mm-hmm. everyone in the football community is just go to the, is just go down to your local club and just go to the games and, and put your bum in the seat. You know, football is very affordable in this country. Um, it it is. is, you know, and, and 
like come and you know we'll be there come and join us if you're listening come and join us because i think you know something really beautiful we're missing at the moment um and and i guess we've as we've said we've got a great opportunity in australia to really kind of put a put us a, a foot forward because we haven't done that for probably well 10 or 15 years it's, it's <laughs> been going backwards since 2006 um, i just find it hard for that people that love the sport can't find even just one little connection to like a Melbourne victory or even a Melbourne city. Like, you know, we, we grew up and well, Melbourne victory came in when we were what, like seven or eight or some of you were probably a bit older, but like Zach didn't grow up in this city. Yeah, not at all. I moved to know what I mean. And he found a way to, to connect. And now it's probably one of the highlights of his week. Whereas us three, we grew up in the city and for yeah. someone, for people that love the sport so much, to not even be able to support their local team, well, I guess it is a, I would a little probably bit disappointing. Question whether they love the sport or whether they love their their club in Europe. <laughs> the theater of it, that's and, true. Mm. And just yeah, on that note of like, um, in your city, like I think that's one of the fantastic things about in Australia, or like, well, this is the opportunity is that like to go on an away day and you know represent your your city in like you know Brisbane, for example, Sydney, Adelaide, and you're there representing Melbourne, like. Yeah, there's few things like that, I think, like in sport, in the world, yeah, really. Yeah, and we, we, we love to hate the other fans, but in reality, we actually couldn't live without them. Um, yeah, and we have a great respect for them as well. We do, absolutely. No matter what yeah. club, even your biggest rival, you, you respect the fans because without fans, you don't have rivals. You don't have, you know, people to hate. You know, you don't have a team to love. You don't have anything, which brings us back to the point that football without fans is nothing. And what are we actually doing right now? Yeah. And look, yeah, I think that's a thing. That's quite a a good point to probably leave on. Um, I think, you know, clearly there are people in charge of the game that, that are not football fans um, that are money hungry. Um, I guess there are things we can do um, as supporters. Um, And I guess he's hoping to, COVID-19, um, even though a, a massive tragedy, um, hopefully in the football world, turning that into something positive and making, making positive change um, and more equality in, in, in revenues um, and kind of fan experiences. So Kev, Zach, um, been a pleasure. Um, your insights um, both about the game in Australia and the game overseas are uh, really, really insightful. Um, so thank you both for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, Nick. Thanks, Twig. It's, yeah, it's been an honour, really. No worries, boys. Good um, to have you on. Must thank be you uh, off to bed early to get up to see Liverpool tomorrow, Nico. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I actually had a big day at work and I'm looking forward to editing this podcast, getting it up for tomorrow and, yeah, hitting, hitting the... Uh, the sack and yeah, six AM I think it is. So I'll be You're a hardworking man, six. Nick. You des- you deserve a win. You deserve a win <laughs> yeah. tomorrow. Who knows? Well, thank you all for listening. If you've made it this far, um, please let us your your thoughts. Let us know your thoughts on this episode and uh, on on any matter in fan culture. We always love hearing that. And uh, until next time, see you later. <laughs>